like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast. This week you have me, Dave, you have Leo. Hello. And you have Chris. Hey. It's a full house today. Now, this week we have a guest. Um, This guest actually reached out to us, which I'm glad he did. He was top 10 at low cap nationals back in the spring. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Mike Shadilov. Hi, Mike. Perfect. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Thanks for reaching out. We appreciate it. So why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? All right. Uh, You actually actually said my name exactly as I was expected. Michael Shadilov. Well, I was actually born and raised in the Soviet Union, you might tell by my accent, by my last name. Uh, Came here when I was 18. I joined the military at 21. Served uh, in the 82nd Airborne Division for a few years. Jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. And people say, why Why would you want to jump out of perfectly good airplanes? I said, you haven't seen our planes, man. You want to get out of <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I one of my, you know, memorable experiences from those days was this joint exercise when, you know, the paratroopers from the 82nd Airborne, first of the 504th in 97. Uh, the, the former Russian paratroopers came to Fort Bragg to train with us. We, you know, we trained them and then jumped over back into the Soviet Union, 20 hour flight. I think it was like two or three in-flight refuelings. And, uh, you know, because I was the highest rated interpreter in the military at that point, probably, uh, I was assigned, I was stationed with the 307 engineers right there on, on Fort Bragg. And I got assigned to the commanding general staff to uh, translate for the three-star Marine general and, and his sergeant major. So wow. as, as the leaders usually do, you know, they get out of the airplane first. So all these, you know, we flew with them and uh, I was the third one out, but I was, you know, a fairly large guy and so heavier. So I was the first guy to land on the former Soviet <laughs> Union soil. Here I am, you know, a Russian, an American paratrooper in the Soviet Union <laughs> standing in this giant cornfield in Kazakhstan. That was wow. uh, one of the, you know, most memorable experiences. So like reverse Red Dawn. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm back, well, baby. Exactly. And listen, we train. We train with a lot of these guys. You know, some. You know, uh, the Russian. The Russian uh, uh, paratroopers came over, and these guys are. Oh my God, these guys are huge. I got a picture. They're like a head taller than me, and I'm six feet tall. And 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 you know that you know, colonels and lieutenants and captains assigned as like enlisted personnel because whatever the political you know agenda. You know, and we're drinking. I got some crazy stories about those days. I'm not going to bore you guys with those, but maybe at the low cap, Dave, I'll tell you about that. Uh, so, you know, came back, you know, uh, after the military, I kind of, you know, missed the uh, the the rush of jumping out of airplanes. So I started skydiving. And that's where I met my wife. What, you know, I guess about 20 years ago now. We, uh, we've been skydiving together for 16 years. I, you know, I was competing at a reasonably high level at the nationals and, my team won the gold. Um, in and the, the funny thing is, the the organization is called USPA, United States Parachute Association. So USPA, USPSA, and the uh, 
the, the personalities are very similar, man. There's a lot of A-class personalities, a lot of people that are training to, be, to get better and, uh, um, you know, compete. So competed at the Nationals, was a certified judge, uh, uh, spent about 16 years skydiving, 4,000 jumps. She had almost, I think, two or 3,000 jumps. Both of us were competing. But then we discovered the sport of practical shooting. We got our pistol permit licenses. I was 43 or 44 and uh, picked up a pistol almost for the very first time. Um, we shot a couple of local matches that were uh, IDPA-like matches, basically, you know, two hits on Brown and you're good. And then I went to an IDPA match. I, I got interested. I'm like, well, what else is out there? Like, you know, IDPA, a local match in New York, IDPA. Went there and I see guys going really fast to me back then, you know, in IDPA, right? They go, they shoot things. I'm like, all right, I have to go fast. So I start shooting. And then they start calling out the scores, whatever, two down, whatever, three down, whatever the points down, I don't remember. And I'm like, what does that mean? And my buddy, Sean, if, if he's watching, he's like, uh, you have to hit the center of the target. He looked at me like I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, there's actually scoring involved. Well, what else is there? So then USPSA came up. And I thought USPSA was this crazy sport where people run around with guns and blast the targets. It was just, it did make sense to me at first. And I'm like, I will never do USPSA. And then uh, a local club, Metamorphs, uh, came and joined my, my friends on the squad and shot, and I, I fell in love with it. And I joined USPSA after, I think, my second match, second or third match, I, I joined USPSA. Um, didn't, really get, didn't really get passionate about training and getting better until maybe, you know, six, seven months later. Uh, I won a local match as a B-class shooter, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's good. What else is that? You know, like, what is the next step? Started looking at different programs, started looking at different, you know, coaches out there. Um, and so just started dry firing, started dry firing, uh, you know, following, you know, uh, the Anderson program, Staggers program, you know, reading books, watching videos. Never really took a, a class with anybody, just just from all the material that's available out there. Made a class, uh, took me about, I think, about maybe four or five months, uh, then made master. Uh, and and then and then I was happy. Honestly, my goal in the game was to be a master of the game. And when I say a master of the game, I don't mean an M class shooter. I mean knowing the rules, knowing the scoring, know, knowing the organizational structure. You know, I became an RO right around the same time when I was B class. Uh, uh, understanding the rules, like be good at the game, not just not just at shooting. Do you know what I mean? You know. Yep. So so at that point, I'm like, all right, cool. Let, you know, let's just keep practicing. Let's shoot the nationals. I, I 2018 is when I shot my first nationals. I think I was like four or five months into uh, into doing USPSA, and I was very nervous about doing nationals. And you know, I talked to my wife. I'm like, should I go? It was it was it was already cold. I think it was like June time, and I think the nationals were in September back then. And she goes, if you want to do it, just do it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna do it. And I went to the nationals and I placed like 60 percent of whoever was the winner. It was Ben Stegger. Uh, and I'm like, wow, okay, 140, 150 something place. But that light up, you know, lit up the fire. Like, I want to start training. I want to start getting serious about this game. Started practicing. The next year, I went to the nationals again, and I placed. Uh, I think it was 70 some percent, 74 percent, maybe 44th. I think I was as a master a year later. Um, started practicing more. You know, joined the practical shooting training group online. You know. Just got a little, little bit more serious. The following year, I think I placed 25th or 24th. And um, did I lose you? You're good. 
You're okay. good. Keep going. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, so, so, and, and then I shot a classifier match with my friends in New Jersey. And I, you know, I've never shot classifiers as classifiers. A lot of people go, and I see like, you know, good shooters, M class shooters, they go and they just, they really struggle with these things. They, they want to, they want to advance to grandmaster. So they start blasting on these targets and, and they just don't do well. And then they, you know, they try to reshoot the classifier. Just, it never goes well. One thing I learned, you know, early on, luckily for me, is like shoot these things as, as stages. You know, people keep saying that, and it, it doesn't resonate until it resonates, right? And then shoot them, shoot them as stages, and then the scores will show up. They will come. So I've always shot those stages, uh, classifiers as stages. So generally, generally, you know, 87, 88, 89%, but never really came close to shooting anything above 95 until this classifier match was said, you know, like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do the, you know, rip it, grip it and rip it, you know, like zero, zero. And boom, immediately I had like two hondos and a 96 and a 98. And then I was within a fraction of a percentage of making Grandmaster. And then like, uh, well, now I wanna make Grandmaster. Now like, I'm gonna try to do that. And uh, I think I shot two more, two or three more matches and uh, made Grandmaster. That was a year ago. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, there was a couple of discussions in, uh, I think, on the Brian Eno's forum. Who's the oldest guy to make Grandmaster? I don't think I'm the oldest one, but at 47, what, what 46, you know, I, you know, I talk to my friends who've been shooting, you know, 10, 15 years, and and I'm like, well, you know, our eyes are not the same. Like, listen, my eyes, my eyes are going, but 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day of practice. If you want that goal, like it's reachable. Like you are never, you are never, uh, you know, not able to do it if you want to. And so now, now a lot of my friends are, you know, we actually have a class coming up with Ben Steger next week. Uh, and uh, a lot of my friends from the club are taking it. And I was going to take it. Like, I don't care. Like, he's, he, he will push me, even though I'm grandmaster. Like, he will push me. I know that, even if it's a fundamentals class. But we had 12 people, 12 my friends. And I'm like, all right, I'll give up my spot. You guys go ahead and, you know, jump in. So hopefully, hopefully out of those 12, somebody will be, you know, and I know one guy who I know is, is working hard. His name is Dennis. And I know he's going to make Grandmaster and carry optics someday. You know, he's working hard. You know, these guys are interested, you know, Anthony, all these guys, they'll get there. So, um, so yeah, so now, now I'm, you know, training for the carry optics nationals. I shot a uh, nine matches, nine or 10 matches total this year. Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to hold you there. Cause, uh, I want to get into that a little bit later. Um, so you definitely have the record for the longest intro in the casual shooters podcast history, but I like it. It's <laughs> all, all right. good. It's all good info. You actually, uh, kind of got into some of my questions later. So right. we'll re we'll rehash a little bit of it Sounds and good. go into it a little bit more detail. Feel, feel free to stop me. I'm a geek about this stuff and I have it like all of us are, I think I have a tendency to go into too much detail. Sometimes I don't take offense if you stop me and be like, Hey mate. Let's, let's get let's go this Look, so. the best part about the intro is now huggy knows even though he's like 80 he might be a grandmaster one day <laughs> you will be <laughs> don't say maybe you like say to yourself you will be and you will be there you go huggy you can do it see octogenarian he's just out there getting I believe, it. I believe it i believe in the process and i know it's going to happen it's all right implication of it all right i'm, so I'm, I'm gonna keep practicing yes <laughs> okay we're going to get into the uh, the five get to know our guest questions. All right, all right. So, what's your favorite movie? Uh all right. Does it have to be just one? Nope. So, when I was a kid, man, I watched The Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that was amazing to me. I was like 13 years old, and I watched that movie. And right after the movie, 
And in the Soviet Union, those movies were illegal, mind you. We had these underground uh, little uh, video salons where we used to watch these things. Right after the movie, I went to the gym and I started lifting weights and I barely got home because I was I was broken, like 13, 14, whatever I was, I don't remember. So Terminator was, as a kid, that was my my favorite movie. Um, but as, a, as an adult, I would say it's, it's ha it has to be The Matrix for me. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Yeah, yeah, great movie. A great movie, man. Like it was when I saw I was in the military when I saw it, I think it was 99, I think it came out. And that one was an eye-opening kind of a, I don't know why, I don't know, like it connected with a lot of, things that we talk about, you know, and, and that, I think that's directly translatable into what the red pill, the blue pill thing, kind of a thing. That was my favorite movie by far. And you know, they're coming out with the, another one and I don't you remember. It's going to be as good. I mean, the trilogy was, I don't know, man, as much as I love the first one, the second and the third one, just the, well, the two writers of the two writers, one of them has written the new one. Okay. So hopefully, you know, it's maintained some of that continuity and, I'm, I'm hoping so. it's as good as the the original. The original, yeah. I was disappointed with the third one for sure. Second one was. Mm, so. I have to say they had some great fight scenes. The uh, they choreography, did, yeah. the choreography yeah. was amazing. You know, it of course, was, Keanu yeah. Reeves when he gets into yeah, he's a machine. That guy. Yeah, he when he acts and he especially when he does the fight scenes, he really really gets into it. So they trained for like I think they trained for like a year. They went to. Yeah. I think Thailand or or you know Hong Kong somewhere they they trained for a year for that stuff. Well, see, he's I'm actually also directed some some of his own. It was uh, Tai Chi Master, I believe. Like he's directed mm -hmm. some of his own uh, martial arts films. So, and he's and not bad with a pistol, from what I hear. No, yeah, he's I'm, oh I'm, no, he <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen him, uh, <laughs> like he knows what we're talking about. But if you've ever seen him do any three gun training with Taron or as yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Huggy That's calls him, Tehran. Uh, so shout out to uh, Tehran Butler, Boulair, as uh, Huggy calls him. No, really. yeah. yeah, if he ever no, wants to come French. on the show, that's cool too. But yeah, well, yeah that I guy, saw, he put in the work. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, if Keanu Reeves is listening, I'm going to tell you right now, come on the show and uh, and, uh, and join us for a good 100% he's listening. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to call him tomorrow. I'm going to call him tomorrow. I'll, I'll get him on the podcast. Yeah. Well, you Done. know, he, you know what? He lives up in New York and he takes the subway a lot, from what I understand. It is so. true. So, here, you want to hear a funny story about Skydiving? So, uh, Robert De Niro, who I love as an actor and don't like at all as a politics. Exactly. Yeah. His house is next door to our job zone in New York, in New York, uh, Gardner. And when, we, and when we fly over his house, we'll spit on his house. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, this not have made the podcast. <laughs> oh, it's got to be in the podcast. 100% it's in. Yeah, it's not like he was going to come on shirt. as a guest. <laughs> Lowe is an actor. Yeah. Watch his politics. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I agreed. Yeah. But yeah, I, I actually would like actor. to see, Ke I like to see Keanu, uh, actually, Reeves, that is, uh, actually come out to a competition and uh, shoot and maybe even yeah. go, go to nationals and shoot at nationals. Oh, yeah. So. It'd actually be kind of cool. To see. He's one of the most humblest actors I know. Like I don't, I generally don't look up to actors. Keanu, on the other hand, like he's a humble dude. He's yeah. a hard worker, you know. And you know, he's a he's, he likes bikes. He's just like yeah. a dude, right? Yeah, yeah. He has his own uh, Arc Customs, I believe, or Arc. Yeah. yeah, like him and his buddy. Yeah, yeah. you know why he's so? It's because he's Canadian. Is that what it is? He, uh, that's, I'm telling you, that's why he's so humble. <laughs> I'm actually. Uh, 
Uh, I have a couple of friends from work who are Canadians. They're super polite. I'm like, come on, come on, let's just let's just let's get a little bit angry about some of the issues that we. I'm like, yeah. super polite. I'm like, oh man. We've interviewed Canadian like to a couple that we uh, that we shot with at nationals. Uh, lovely, lovely Canadian couple. Yeah, very nice people. We, Mike yeah. is actually shooting on the same squad as them at nationals. Oh, oh. you're gonna oh. love them. Really? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell well. tell them we say hi. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're great. Yeah, they are. Oh, they, they're fun. They they were awesome to actually, you know, hang out with. And even when they were on the podcast, we had a good time with them. So, they and they have a they have an interesting story. I don't know if you listened to that podcast about how they almost lost their guns, you yeah. know, for, for traveling. We're, so, we're, well, the airport lost their fire. Well, the airport well, misplaced. The airline. Misplaced. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah, we got yeah. some crazy stories about that. Yeah. yeah, that's terrible. But anyway, right. so Mike, what's your favorite book? Um, so recently, well, you know, it's almost an American to read book to stay these days, right? Like you, you, a lot of people don't read anymore. I used to read as a kid. I used to read a lot, but you know, listening to books is, I think, is a happy compromise nowadays. So my favorite book, by far, I think, has been for the last several years is Murray Rothbard's For a New Liberty. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Murray Rothbard. He's one of the libertarian uh, cornerstones, I guess. Uh, he talks about he talks about um, the relationship between the state and the, the free human beings, kind of a thing. Uh, touches on some of the values, how how you know human liberties come first, kind of a thing. You know, so libertarian, you know, is what I identify myself. Having been a, a hardcore Republican and God, I hate to say it as a, as, a, as a as a Democrat, I guess when I was younger. You know what they say, right? If you, if you're young and you're not a Democrat, you right? How does it go? So, but now I kind of sort of identify myself as a libertarian. So that book has shaped quite a few of my uh, you know understandings of the world, or reshaped them rather, uh, while agreeing with how I always felt about communism when I was a kid. You know, like hating all the things, being a refugee from communism, um, and believing in the American dream, and you know, hard work and personal liberty kind of a thing. Uh, but another one that connects to me on the on the level of the matrix is uh, The Quantum Thief by um, Hanu, I can't pronounce his life, he's a Finnish mathematician and physicist. It's a science fiction book, but it's action-packed book and it talks about post-humanist world where uh, your consciousness can be backed up and you basically never die. But as a result, all the rich people like the, the Bezos and the, you know, uh, they are the absolute, you know, gods of that universe. They have their backups. They can, you know, everything is interconnected. The human brain is indestructible. You can back yourself up. When you die, you don't really die. You go into a quiet mode and you do all the heavy labor. You operate machines as a, as a, almost as a slave, but then you get reborn after a certain amount of time. But if you're rich, then you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So it's an interesting social book, but also based on his, again, he works with AI. So he brings in that knowledge of, you know where this technology is scary book in a way but you know interesting and he has like a trilogy of those books that one being one of the being the first one quantum thief wow interesting so this is the huggy this is the huggy special who's your favorite superhero <laughs> uh my wife pia she's my favorite superhero man okay uh, very good years. Best and smartest answer we've ever had. She's in the house right now, and I hope she cannot hear me. I hope you can, because you know, like, 
anyway, but I, I love her and uh, she's been my inspiration. I've said it, you know, many times over the years. Uh, if I had a quarter of her tenacity, I would be, I'll be the world champion. I would be the multi-billionaire. I'll, if I only had her, uh, she's a bull man. Like she will get things done. You know, there's That's no, awesome. you know, many years ago, she gave me a little uh, magnet for my fridge. Never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. And, uh, and it's been my motto for, I don't know how long, like I see my friends, we, we just, just had the match and one of my good friends, you know, high level guy, one of the, he's the best guy in the, in the area, probably in carry optics, um, great shooter. But sometimes when he had the best stage, like he just almost is ready to give up and, and he's a Marine, you know, Matt Hample, what's up, Matt, you know, okay. yeah, and, Matt. You know like, you're a fucking, Mar- sorry, you're a Marine. You don't give up. Like no matter how bad your day is going. Think about all the guys that came before you. Like they, they died on those hills. They never give up. And this is just a game. And you're gonna give up because you made a mistake because you may not win the match. You don't give up. You never ever ever give up. And and she taught me that. And so she is my superhero, man. And oh, actually, awesome. actually, Mike, I saw. I was gonna ask you later who Pia was because I saw a video of her on your Instagram page. And I mean, she looks like an old pro. <laughs> she, she's that's very impressive i was going to ask if it was your wife because very yeah. impressive yeah she uh, uh she's been i mean she joined right after me she's a b class she's working towards her a class she's a cro she uh you know both of us took our you know uh cro class with george jones the rmi uh she live she dry fires every day man she will give nils johnson and ben stegger around for for their money in dry fire nice and, uh, so she she's dedicated. She's working hard, and and uh, you know uh, she's struggling a little bit sometimes to connect that dry fire to live performance, live matches. So you know, but it, listen, it takes time. All these things take time. She's been shooting. She picked up a gun when she was almost fifty years old, right? You know, 48, 49. So it takes time. You know, we're not twelve anymore. We're not teenagers. So it and for us to run with a gun, it's almost unnatural. You know, we we have a loaded firearm on our hand. Like we got to be careful you know for teenagers and for younger folks like we don't they don't have that issue they just run and that's why they're good that's why they have no fear but for us it takes a little bit of time to work over that fear i think and and just allow ourselves to move as if we can without a firearm and uh so but yeah she's she's very dedicated um she's working hard she's been shooting three years now i think three and a half years um shooting production mostly i'm trying to get her into carry optics so she can finally see the target clearly. <laughs> yeah, Huggy. Well, hey, listen, I switched to Keratics this year. I put my glasses on, my prescription glasses on, and I, I, I can actually see hits on the target now. There you I can go. actually see the target clearly. Because in production, I gotta I gotta see the sights a little bit more, you know, be kind of working with target focused shooting a little right. bit more. But it's amazing what you can see with the proper prescription glasses. I didn't realize how bad my vision has gotten over the years. And I can tell now shooting carry optics when I'm not target focused because I, when i am target focused i see the shots hitting the target yep yep so exactly. I, if i don't if i'm not seeing the shots hit the target then i know i'm not target focused yeah yep, it's yep. interesting yeah all right so mike what's your favorite gun and caliber uh so right now i actually got my gun right here this is my shadow two that i've been shooting in carry in carry this is the gun that i shot top 10 in, in in, at the low cap nationals, and then I converted it recently to a carry optics gun with this easy custom play system. Pulse on optics on this thing. Love this gun with the breast grips. Somebody convinced me to put these things on. I'm like, nah, that's not gonna make a difference. And I'm like, wow, it might make a huge difference. So, this is by far my favorite gun. It has a lot of sentimental value. I don't think I'll ever sell it. 
I do convert it. But uh, uh, but I also picked up a Colt 1911 competition model from the price table at the Nationals. So it's tough to look. Nice. Uh, that thing is beautiful, man. And I, I like single stack. As a kid, I always wanted to have a 1911. And so for the, for, you know, you know, I don't want to make single stack great again or anything like that because it's already great. But I love single stack uh, 1911s. Uh, but right now, this is my favorite gun. And nine millimeter is the caliber. Okay. All right. And and uh, kind of tag along with that. You know, there are, there are three divisions in USPSA not doing very well. Yeah. But but that is the one division of the three that I would like for them to always support and keep going. I mean, it's like the OG. You know, it's it's the legacy. I mean, that's what the whole yeah. has been founded on. Like, yeah. I mind this now. You know, I don't care what people say. Single stack is not going away. Yeah. Revolver. We can we can talk about that. <laughs> All right. Now. Mike, my, my fifth question was actually going to be kind of funny. Um, I was going to ask if you knew your name was Russian, and there's a lot of Russians using your name on Facebook. And I was going to ask if you had a LifeLock membership. Uh, <laughs> Probably should get that. No, but I have a gun, though. Is that good enough? <laughs> but but now Probably that you better. said you now that you say you're actually from the Soviet Union, where did you grow up? So I was born and raised in a city called uh, Samara or Kubyshev uh, was the old Soviet name. Uh, it, it's the third biggest city in Russia. So you have Moscow, you have Leningrad, and then you have Samara or Kubyshev. And that was actually the second capital during World War II when the Germans came close to Moscow. They evacuated the government and they placed it into my into my uh, city. Um, rich legacy, a lot of a lot of a lot of history. I mean, Russia's a thousand years old, and the Christian. Yeah, as, as a Christian, Russia has been a, at least a thousand years. So, uh, yeah, one of the major cities, but not a well-known one. It, but it's, it's right in the heartland of the actual Russian Republic. So Soviet Union is the Russia itself and then all the neighboring republics. Right. Which now, you know, uh, their own countries, independent countries. But Russia is huge, and I was from the center of it. Okay. Now, all right, we're going to do something we don't normally get into. We're going to get into uh, a little bit of communism real quick. Let's do it. I love it. When, when, when <laughs> I hear it, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is a, an opportunity for us to to learn. So you grew up in the Soviet Union. What was it like going to school? Like, what what did they teach you? Like, what was the history they taught you? I'm very curious. I, I, I got a good story. So when I when I was in basic training, of course, I have my nameplate right on my, on, on my chest, shadow of him. And one of our drill instructors was a special forces dude, and he had the Tower of Death. You guys know what that is, like the special forces, Ranger, Airborne, medals. You know, like he he wore his A class uniforms once and was sitting in the bay or all the recruits, and uh, and he walks by, and the entire class goes, "Wow!" Short dude, very stocky, special forces guy, uh, serving first class, and uh, and one day he calls me over, he goes, "Come here," so I come up, you know, parade rest. I'm I'm towering over him, and he goes. Do you know what this means? He points at his shoulder. Special form. Like, yes, there's one. It's called the Tower of Death. Uh, he goes, that's good. Do you know that I was trying to kill you? I'm like, I look him straight in the eye. I go, and, I, and I say, he goes, are you Russian? I'm like, yes, I am. I was born and raised in Russia. He goes, do you know that I was trying to kill you? I look him straight in the eye. I go, do you know that I was in high school? I was trying to kill you. And he just starts laughing. He just, <laughs> he just started laughing. He almost shook my hand. He, he, he loved the answer so much. But uh, listen, we had military training 
uh, from I think seventh grade. Uh, we started shooting firearms. Uh, we had a we had a range under our high school. Every and every high school had this. That this was standard setup. Uh, boys started shooting rifles, 22 caliber rifles, uh, at, uh, at part of their military training. That was a weekly class, uh, starting I think from the sixth or the seventh grade. Uh, when you enter, I think ninth grade, they take you to the military training facilities where you start shooting AKs. Uh, they they teach you. If you remember, that, uh, did you guys have it in the Marine Corps? Did you have the handbook of uh, you know all the critical stuff like that yes. you need to know from first aid? And so we had that as kids. We wow. knew, I knew I could identify an American tank. I could identify a Russian tank. I could identify a mine. Uh, they, they taught us how to work with mines as kids, man, as kids. Wow. Right. Uh, shooting 22 long rifle was basically a competition where I kind of sort of started, you know, getting familiar with firearms. So basically for the last two years of your, of your you know, high school years, uh, we didn't have 12 grade. We had 10 grades. Uh, so nine and 10 is when you were ba basically being schooled. They were hoping that you wouldn't go to college or to a, a, a trade school. They were hoping that you would join the military and become a soldier. So they were teaching you, you know, getting you ready so that when you do go to military, like you already trained. We actually had a military camp at the end of the 10th grade. It was a three week long, basically basic training like uh, uh, camp, military camp. They, they taught you karate. They taught you how to shoot guns. They did, but, but for kids, man, that was like so cool. Like you're playing soldiers, right? In, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I got to be honest. This is the one time I'm going to say here, this is the one time Leo agrees with Russia. <laughs> that is genius. It is. Right I don't man. know why they don't do that anymore here because well, that is, that is, well, man, well, have, listen, they got one thing right and it was that. Well, I will have to say this. I went to military school uh, from ninth grade up to my senior year in high school. So, um, it was great. Back in when I went to military school, there were still hazing and everything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very interesting what you said because we had a rifle team, an actual rifle team. So we shot 22 long rifles. Um, but the military school I went to was an Air Force military school. So we learned about every plane out there. That's and the it, same as 4-H. Yeah. <laughs> so we learned about every plane. We actually yeah. had a flight simulator, an F-4 Phantom flight simulator. Oh. Um, and could you fit you actually, in the simulator <laughs> at that time? I could, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, we you actually got your private pilot's license at the age of 15, yeah, back wow. then. So amazing, right? But now it's not like that anymore because it's like you know, you got to be the gentler, kindler. So now the military school mm -hmm. I went to is now like a country club, yeah, you know, so yeah. it's sad. You know, but I, I agree with you and I agree with Leo. Yeah, they, they had something right. I mean, that was what the, that's what the 4-H and the FFA was back in the day. Yeah. And you can't find a school now that has any of those programs. You still love this. The Virginia Military Academy, they still have that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, it's gentle, softer. But is it is it doing these kids any favors, though? Like when they grow up, no. they, they go into the real world? No. I don't think so. See, and, and that's what that's, that's I my academy say. right there for when my kids this is well, their college. Mike, yeah. I would I would say this. Um, like the three-week uh basic training you were talking about, it's still for those people who those individuals who don't compete in sports, it still instills a type of teamwork. Yes, yes. So so I think that does translate later. Like I didn't do as much sports before I went into the Marine Corps. 
And what I noticed was um, even at 18 years old, those who had, like I played, I did some football, I did some wrestling, but I didn't do it consistently year in, year out. And I noticed those that did worked better as a group and had, and had better social skills with those individuals, whereas I did not. Well, I, I think you're 100% right. Like the, 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 what I missed the most about the military days, and that was, you know, many years ago, two decades ago, is the camaraderie. You know, there was, there was, no, Absolutely. There was no racism that I saw. Our, our first sergeant was a black dude who was the greenest guy I've ever seen. He was so fair and so tough that, you know, he was my hero back then. You know, he, that, that, you know, my, my best friend would wake me up in the middle of the night to stand, you know, post whatever three o'clock. He was afraid that I was going to stab him with the bayonet, but he still so keep him. Come on, Shadow. But those <laughs> are the memories that I have from those days, and we worked together for four years. Like we knew each other. The come on, we just had a match, uh, area eight, and uh, we had a gentleman on our on our squad, and the arrow. You know, we're walking the stages. The arrow goes uh, one minute, and me as an airborne guy, that was a command in the plane. One minute, so I, I go thirty seconds, and Jim, this big dude, goes. Stand by. I'm like, wow, another, another airborne guy. And another one they recognize it. So then we started talking. I'm like, Jim, what do you think? He goes, he goes, do you miss those days? Mike, I'm like, yeah, man, I, I, I do. I miss, he goes, yeah, I miss the camaraderie. I miss that, you know, that teamwork that you can, you know, rely on. So that makes me feel good because that's what we do when our kid has to get out of the tub. We give him a <laughs> countdown. We're like, five minutes. He's like, five minutes. <laughs> We're like, one minute. He's like, one minute. Okay. <laughs> Stand by. And he puts his finger up. He's like, "One well, minute." I'm like, "But you got, right, but you got to, you got to slap the butt of the guy in front of you, though." That's right. Like, I mean, go. he's five, so he doesn't. He's like, "Oh, good game, right, coach." I want to get back to the Soviet Union. Um, so that's very interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, the one of the things, the first person I ever voted for for president was Ronald Reagan in 1984. Now. I, so I, I grew up in that time where it was the Cold War. Uh, there was a lot of talks yeah. uh, about, you know, stuff going on over there and whatnot. But my, my question is, I've always heard about food shortages. Mm. Are, was that correct? Yeah, that was correct. And uh, I, you know, I experienced this firsthand. Uh, we, had, uh, we had coupons for uh, uh, core products, bread, butter, sausage. Uh, and you would get a, a limited amount of that for a family. So at the, at the beginning of the month, the stores would get stocked up and you go and you stand and the line would stretch for blocks. So as a kid, I would go, you know, buy bread. The bread was more or less sometimes like it was, it was, it was okay. But butter and, and like butter and meat, meat products, sausage and stuff like that, you would get a coupon per family. I think you got, I think we got like a, a half a kilo per person per month. Wow. Uh, so standing in line, hoping to get, and people are angry. People, I mean, listen, the whole country was was hungry in those in the nineties, in, in the late eighties and early nineties. People getting into fights over food. I mean, those those videos that you see online, probably from those days. I I saw it with my own eyes, man. That that, that was wow. Good. Okay, you can never tell what what's real and what isn't. So yeah. that's that's wild, and that's only a pound a person. That's crazy. Yeah. Trust. Oh, pound of butter, uh, a sausage. I think were maybe two kilos. I don't remember the meat products, but I mean it's been pound of butter. What is this, France? Hey, those are hard to make. What do they? What do they call a quarter pounder with cheese in France? 
A Royale oh, with Royale. cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Check out the big brain on Brad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great reference, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Good movie. Yeah, yeah. You yes. you can't try. You can't pull any movie stuff over with Leah. Yeah. Dude, Sorry. I used to. My best buddy in the military. We used to. We used to talk movie lines. So test me. <laughs> Love it. There I'm you in. go. <laughs> Leo's your guy. <laughs> get loose. <laughs> I'm ready. I'll be thinking of him as he's asking you questions. All right, all right, all right. What years were you in the military, Mike? Uh, ninety-five. I think I signed up. I was uh, I was in delayed entry program for a little while because I was going to college at the time. Okay. And and they gave me options, and they said, uh, "Do you want to join as a as an infantry guy, or do you want to join as a as a?" So, a psychology nurse for seven for eight years i'm like um you know let me let me just what about other options can i go airborne because i saw the commercial with the with the maroon berets i'm like i want to do that they're like well you can sign up for that but if you know how recruiters are sign up now oh you get that stuff later don't worry they, they promise you things oh yeah so i'm like no no i kind of sort of want to you know make make sure that it's in the contract so they signed me up for a delayed entry program and i think september of 94 is when I actually joined the service uh, and basic training AIT was right after the Christmas break and then Fort Benning jump school so 95 through 90 I think late of 99 is when I got out of service uh, and then I did uh, I think two years in the New York National Guard um, and, and and then I got out of the National Guard so is that where you're at you're in New York yeah uh, at the time I was, yeah we came to Brooklyn or Manhattan like all the refugees generally do. <laughs> uh, so we settled. And listen, you know, my family has been here since 1917. So it was a slow process of getting from mm. Russian Revolution. They ran away from the communists back then. We ran away from the communists in 92. That was the smart branch. They were like, we'll, we'll set up and we'll just <laughs> bring you in slowly. Yeah. I like yeah. it. So just so you know, I graduated uh, airborne school. April 1st, 1988. Just saying. Wow. All right. Well, you paved the way. I was, I was four. In were you guys actually using the towers? Because they did not allow us to use the towers. When we yeah, there. we did. All right. The, I, mighty, I, the mighty Ungawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, were, they, they had some concerns, and I, I don't think I don't think we ever used those. At least I know I, I never used the towers. but I don't think they okay. used them. Do they? Well, I mean, then we did. Yeah. Yeah. They're still up, but I don't think they use them anymore for safety reasons. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You get up there and you're just hanging there. You're dangling. You got to release yourself, right? Two hundred and fifty feet. No, yeah. they actually they disconnect you from the bottom. Oh, do they? I thought I thought yeah. you uh, uh, detach the safety, and then they release you. No, nope, they were like they would talk to you through a megaphone, mm -hmm. and you'd be dangling, and then you would next thing you know you're drifting. Yeah, now, actually, now that you mentioned it, I actually do remember somebody talking to the megaphone while we were standing there. I think I think we used them, but not the whole not the whole class used them. So I think one yeah. tower was shut down, and I think, man, my memory is fading. But I yeah, know I can oh. see if the wind's blowing the wrong way, you'd be eating steel. That wouldn't be a good thing. No. no That's what makes you hard. We we did have one guy in the Army. I was in the Marines when I went through, but we I remember one guy, I was – either in the air or I had just, I think I had just landed and disconnected everything. We had one guy who was running with the wind out running a Jeep. Oh Jesus. And they're like screaming at him through the megaphone. 
man, I don't know what all he broke, but he looked like Steve Austin, just end over end over end over end. I would just drop and let it drag me. <laughs> I was like, uh, do I want to do this again? <laughs> I think he might be dead. Yeah, what is it? Feet like, together, oh, knees together? My God. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. nuts. Yeah, I watched a documentary about Airborne and uh, uh, a first lieutenant slammed into the side of a Humvee. I was like, I think she died. And they were like, all you could hear is the instructor screaming, feet together, knees together. And she hits us out of the Humvee. And she's like, I'm good. I'm good. I've seen crazy stuff in my skydiving days, man. People hitting trucks, people hitting ground, people hitting buildings. And some of them didn't walk away. But some from impacts that that are, he's dead. This dude is dead. Oh, he gets up. I'm good. Shakes himself off. Gets up. Yeah. Yeah, I had my own little interesting experience at Camp Dawson, but that's another story for another time. Do you know, trivia question, do you know where the United States Parachute Association headquarters is located? Uh, I want to say they're in Virginia now. Actually, my buddy, Al Barstow, is run, running for, uh, I think he's running for president now. He was an area director. 20 minutes that way. My house? From me. Oh. <laughs> here, Right here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went in there when I'm talking like, hey, and I thought they it was like military. Now. Yeah, yeah. They have a museum now, which is one of the things I think USPSA needs to is missing. Yeah. The grades that came before us and uh, have some kind of a, you know, recognition for the sport. They have it. They established about 10 years ago, I think. I feel that would require like a, a headquarters building and and everything else. Maybe within the headquarters building, have something that, that will draw maybe people to uh, you know, to the facilities. If you're in the area, you have a small museum with like photographs. Yeah, you just put casual shooter podcast on the front. People are like, oh, that's gonna be great. We got to go in there and see what that's about. There you go. Have a, have a TV with the reruns running twenty. Yeah. There you go. I like They're gonna that. be like, oh, those guys are handsome. They're probably talking about some interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or they're I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Well. Why not? I'm an idea man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Golly. So you you mentioned earlier that you you hunt. What do you hunt with? I uh, I've been I've been hunting with an old Mosin Nagant, uh, which is what my grandfather my grandfather's grandfather carried into battle probably. <laughs> uh, that rifle is uh, seventy years old. Wow, forty six it was made. I have a red dot on that thing, and I can shoot I can shoot a deer in the head from a, you know at a hundred yards, but I think that's a risky shot. So I haven't taken that. So it's mostly been you know but recently uh not recently three years ago she got me a uh a remington 700 uh so that's been my go-to during the season with the little primary arms first focal point you know plain scope basic setup man uh, nothing fancy yeah they it's make, a hunting rifle yeah yeah, primary it it good optic, though. yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't yeah. have to be fancy I was hoping to be like, we do it the Russian way. I just go out with knife. I would jump on the deer once and I slit his yes. throat. Yeah. I jump on him from three and slit his throat. It's the sword. It's the sword behind him above the door. I gotta be. I was really hoping he's like, I'd behead them. Just be no, first, first we drink vodka and then we play. Yeah. <laughs> I love the accent. That is fantastic. It's authentic, right? It is. Love it is best accent I've ever heard. Yeah, hey, man, it's right here. No, pay him. Pay that. Pay that me and his money. Yeah. Oh, rounders. You beat yep. me. Fear and squeal. Straight up. Oh, that was uh, rounders. Matt Nash's favorite movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Wasn't it rounders? 
Yeah. I used to I used to play poker for a few years, made some money with it too. So I love that movie, man. That's probably my second favorite movie. Well, oh, yeah. with his Oreos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. Yep. Check, 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 check. Always check it at me. Check it at me all night. <laughs> it looks like Rounders is going to have to move to the top of my list. Dude, if you haven't seen it, I it's very quotable. It is. It. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Malkovich does a good job. Uh, he has some great actors in there, too. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, God. The, uh, to, uh, well, I'll, I'll think of his name. Okay. Yeah. So, Mike, exactly how did you. I know you said you went to a couple of pistol matches and then the USPSA thing was, you know, weird initially, but how exactly did you stumble or how do you go from competing at a high level in parachuting to pistol competition? Wow. I don't know. It just happened. It just happened. You know, I, listen. I competed. I, I competed at you know a pretty dedicated level. Uh, Sixteen jumps a day with my team is was not unusual. Wow. Uh, you know, ten ten jumps a day was the norm, and and you skydive the whole weekend. So I would leave work on Friday night. You know, camp out on the drop zone, and we just we just jump our ass. So, and then we hang out. This is what I miss the most about skydiving: the social aspect of it. When you when you're done jumping for the day, and now you're hanging out by the fire, you're drinking beers, you're talking about your skydiving days, you're watching videos. I wish USPSA had that, man. Like, imagine us hanging out by the fire right now, drinking beers. And yeah. Stuff. How cool would that be? Just you know? hitting, hitting, go on the microphone. Yeah, you know. God, that'd be great. So, mm -hmm. but, but you know, that kind of burns you out a little bit. You know, sixteen years of skydiving, ten years of competition with the team, and uh, you know, going to the nationals. You know, that stuff is not expensive. It's not. It's not expensive. It's not cheap. You know, the travel. The you know, a, a skydiving rig can cost you anywhere between. You know. Back in the day, it was three thousand dollars. Now it's probably six or seven thousand dollars. You got two canopies in there. You got the acti automatic activation device. You got a uh, you know pilot shoots. You got all this stuff. All the options. You know, it's like it's like a high end open gun, if not more expensive. And that's one rig. And I need two of them if I'm if I'm a competitor because we go back to back. We land. Somebody else packs our parachute. We jump right on the next plane. We go up to ten thousand feet. We jump again on fourteen thousand feet. It wears you out a little bit. You know, you lose the it, you lose the fun aspect of skydiving which is what it was originally so i kind of slowed down the last year and then uh you know and that's when i discovered you know practical shooting and that was fun and that that, that reignited the fire that reignited the uh competitive aspect of it and just you know hanging out with friends and getting better at things you know so i just like so that that's your safest hobby is shooting. <laughs> it's by far the safest the problem yeah. <laughs> like so if you think about how many times you jumped out of a plane that's how many times you've yeah. almost died I've, I've had some, I had some close calls, man. I, yeah, know, probably in the parallel universe, there's probably a couple of dead, dead Mike Shadow loves out just there. Just sitting there, just <laughs> paralyzed from the neck down, probably. Or just man. So, so That's Mike, worse here's, than here's, that. here's yeah, my question: What do you think about the squirrel suits now? Do you like those? Or? I have, I have one. I have one hanging right here in the closet right now. Nope. Ah, I have about two hundred jumps with the squirrel suits. Uh, and you, and you didn't wear it for the podcast. I'm disappointed. We'll do the second part and I'll we'll, we'll take a break. I'll go put the suit on. Boom. <laughs> I'll wear a tie with it too. <laughs> but uh I love squirrel shoes, man. Like I actually have a video somewhere on YouTube, I think, where I jump out five miles away from the drop zone. I'm the last guy out of the plane. From fourteen thousand feet down to four thousand feet was where I opened my parachute. I glide I glided five and a half miles. It's a GPS recorded with, with the wow. glider. She goes with the whole thing. 
Wow. It's a lot of fun, and you truly feel like you're flying. And when you know skydivers love to jump on cloudy days, which FAA yeah. forbids you from going through the clouds, right? With those pilots too, but flying around the cloud in the wingsuit, you actually create the sensation of speed and movement forward rather than just falling straight down. Now, and that's not even like some of my friends do base jumping with those wingsuits. You've probably seen those videos, and I know quite a few of those guys in the Red Bull uh, uh, team. They fly through the mountains. They fly 10 feet off the ground at 100 yeah. miles. I'm like, yeah. yeah. That makes me cringe, man, because I know how, like, you literally yeah. drop your arm a little bit, and you will drop 10 feet, and you will die. Mm -hmm. that, the, the skill the, it takes brass balls to sell real estate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I watch those videos and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so so now here's my question. Because uh, after now talking to you about parachuting and everything, I'm kind of like, did I see you in that movie Drop Zone? <laughs> no, but you, you probably saw one of my friends, Greg Wimmiller. He's a, he's a world champion skydiver former. He's actually a, a army army skydiver. Uh, he was on So just like we have the army marksmanship unit. Yeah. I mean, he has a skydiving team, the Golden Knights. They have the Black Knights yeah. and the Golden Knights. And uh, the gold Knights, uh, I think, the, was it the Black Knights? I think the gold Knights actually jumped with the presidents. So like uh -huh. the Bush jumps, all those things. My buddy jumped with Bush. Uh, he was uh -huh. the big guy. And I think he was in drop zone, actually. He definitely, Greg Wimmel was definitely in the uh, in the Transformers movie when they jumping through the. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. He was on the plane. You can actually see his face. And he's like, he was so proud. Mike, look at my face. That's me. That's me right there. I'm like, yeah, Greg, good for you, man. You yeah, know, when they were when they were flying, <laughs> when they were actually flying through, uh, or I should say, uh, sailing through Chicago, because I remember I had some friends up in Chicago that sat there and they they hand out pamphlets and emails to everybody to let them know that they're going to be shooting this yeah, and yeah. that they were going to see people flying past their window and not to freak out. <laughs> so, and it's funny, oh, wow. a lot of people don't don't believe it, but that's actual footage. Like that's actually them guys. The, the yeah. Red, I think it was the Rebel Air Force team flying through the. It was probably was it Jeffro? It was probably Jeffro, one of the guys, one of my good friends, was doing that jump. Mm, that's cool. I like living too much, man. <laughs> I do too. That's yeah. why I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> Use that eight kids. lives. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, Mike, I see you're a member of Team Hold My Beer with Matt Hempel. That's right. Um, now, the three of us, we all have our nicknames. What's your nickname in? Team hold my beer. They call me the coach, which I didn't know they did, but they call me the coach. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the oldest dude on the team. Ted is, we call him, he just turned, I think he just turned 55. So his son, Ryan, is trying to register him as a senior. I'm like, no, you can call him senior, but you're not registering him as senior. <laughs> and what Ted is one of the greatest guys I know. And uh, uh, so I don't know why they call me the coach. Why well, I think I do because I keep I keep coaching these guys. Because listen, Matt Hampel is a you know grandmaster in carry optics, tremendous he's shooter. A, yeah, he's a good shooter. Jason, really yeah, good. these guys. But sometimes they you know like sometimes they have a difficult stage and they start you know. So I, I try to I try to tell them, hey, don't think about this. Visualize a good stage. Visualize it if you just shot a good stage. Move on to the next one. Explain them. Explain to them the scoring system. You know how to determine where you stand in the match based on your performance on this last stage, how many points have you lost or how many points have you gained based on the difference in the hit factor, which is one of the, you know, like nobody likes math, but sometimes it helps to know some of these things. I know, I bet you, yeah, I bet you a lot of high level guys, they track their scores and they know exactly that. And I'm just practicing that. So I'm sharing my knowledge with these guys. And it's been a habit of mine to share that knowledge with them. And all, and then lately, then Wesley, I think came up with the name. He goes, 
the coach, what, what would the coach do? I'm like, all right, I guess I'm the coach. <laughs> you, so you're kind of like their strategist and middle management coach. Yeah, I, I would rather be the, the best shooter on the team, but yes, I guess I did. <laughs> <laughs> but these guys have been inspiring me from day one. Like I met, I met these guys, I don't know, three years ago, I think, four years ago. And Chris was the uh, grandmaster in, in, in Revolver. And I've never seen a grandmaster in my life. I'm like, I'm like dude, you, you're a grandmaster. He's like, who's looking at who's this guy? And then we start shooting together, and and they've been they've been getting better over time. You know, they made master, they made grandma. So we we're pushing each other to be better. When I see these guys shoot well and they, and they kick my ass, I'm like, well, I, got, I guess I got to go back to the shed and dry fire today, which is what I'm going to do after we hang up. I'm going to go and I'm going to dry fire after this match. Hample kicked all of our asses again. Congratulations, Hample. But if I so if I didn't have, you know, what if if I didn't have an FTSA and forgot a target and got a mic and only if I shot a little bit more accurately. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I saw that you said you had your uh, your D class mic slash FTSA. Yeah, I was ready to turn into the GM. I, I don't deserve this because it just happened to me at uh, was it at, at area at area eight? I forgot a target. I forgot how do we forget a target? <laughs> no, how now because I analyzed it, and the same thing happened at this much. I'm like, man, that's, I don't deserve to be you know to have this G on my card. Take it away from me. Uh, Gotta gotta visualize things, man. Gotta program it. Which uh, which stage did you forget the target on? Because I did the same. Which one? At area eight. Yep. Yeah. It was it was all the way up the hill on the left hand side. The one where you're starting on the low target and then you go up. There's there's a tuxedo two steel I think and an open target. Then you transition. Oh yeah yeah yeah. A stack on the left right and there's there was a little hidden target. Yeah. Before you transition to the other two steel right. Remember that one? So yes. Did not even program that little hidden target and on the video i just walk right past it i don't see it and then uh one of the arrows goes hey mike and i'm like what he points to the target like, oh. i i think you and i missed the exact same target did we really yep Be but i did program mine in so for whatever i know what happened with me though for some weird reason i was missing one of the steel at the beginning mm. i was calling it good so like i even left position and i'm like why is it still standing so I stopped short of where I was supposed to go yeah. to hit it. Then I started back with my stage plan and just transitioned yeah, right yeah. past that one on the right. Yeah. And, and Logan tapped me on the shoulder and pointed at it and said, hey, Dave. I'm like, well, there you go. Uh, my buddy Chris forgot a target. So, so that stage and the one on the right, right at the, at the top of the hill. Remember that, that hard transition to the right at the end? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. This guy's a grandmaster. He forgot, he forgot that target. A lot of people forgot targets. I mean, but that that to me also not not just to take away something from the match to work on, but also the quality of the match. I really enjoyed that match. I think these guys did a tremendous job. You know, I I, I enjoyed shooting those stages. They were very challenging and humbling at the same time. So, yeah, nothing crazy, just very <clears throat> technical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I told I told Keanu. I said that Area Eight was actually really good, and I that those are some good stages that that they had designed so even though i didn't <clears throat> didn't place in the top what 200 or whatever how many of them keep keep going top top 500 <laughs> keep, keep going top 500 you did beat me though you you well, did beat I, a couple I, people that got disqualified yeah it's true that's yeah. right <laughs> i didn't that's, get dq'd so i was like that's yeah. right I'm you didn't listen list. you didn't finish last <laughs> that's right ish <laughs> Uh, area I, you know what? And I was just 
I was disappointed because I didn't get any appetizers either because I was like looking forward to that. I, I don't think I would have used that match as a way to get appetizers. Yeah. Did you guys shoot on Saturday or on Sunday? I shot it Friday. Oh, you shot the stat. Okay. No, you shot it Sunday? No, you I shot, shot Sunday. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Sunday was raining, right? And Saturday was oh just so bad. It was the heat was just killing me. My brain was fried. And you guys got us that and rain too, right, Chris? Oh uh, yeah, it, it was misting in the morning. I shot Sunday, so it was misting in the morning, and then uh, it was just humid as all get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just I was drinking so much water trying to, you know, keep uh, fluids in, but it was just it very. You. That hit me, man. I, I I feel my brain getting sluggish. Yeah, you gotta keep drinking water and Gatorades and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I tell you, but then I could only drink so much water, and my stomach was getting sluggish because I felt like I drank too much water. So sure, like, sure. there's a there's a thing I've been using, um, the liquid IV. It's kind of like a Pedialyte mix. Yeah, it's called uh, Hoist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it you know they call it the uh, hydration multiplier. So instead of drinking three bottles, you drink one bottle, and it you know gives you the same kind of a, you know electrolytes, all the good stuff. Not too sugary, not too sweet, but you know, so I start mixing those things in. No, well, I, I know I've learned my lesson from that one. So from now on, I will be uh, taking something besides just yeah. water. <laughs> uh, beer helps, but you know. Yeah. Afterwards. Afterwards. They get real persnickety about the rules. Yeah, I know. Can't drink beer and shoot things. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say there, there's a great pizza place that we could go to afterwards <laughs> and do that. That is true. They have beer there. Yes. Well, you know, that's that's what I miss. Like, you know, listen, we're done shooting. We're in the parking lot. We're hanging out by the trucks. You know, a lot of clubs actually are okay with that. You know, drinking a beer after shooting is done. You're not handling firearms anymore. So, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Just yeah it just all depends on the range rules. Yes. 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 Yeah. Pizza and beer. That's, that's a good combination. Yes. <laughs> so, Mike, how long after you started shooting USPSA did you become an RO? Um, I want to say. The, the following year, um, maybe not a full year in even. I really like, oh, wow. you know, my goal was to be a master of the game, not just a master class shooter, but like understanding the rules, knowing the rules, and to give back to, like, I really admire these guys that work, you know, these matches. It's, it's like, listen, here I am shooting this for a day and I'm wasted. And these guys are there for three or four days in the same conditions and they got to stay sharp, just as sharp as a as the competitors, they got to score targets. They got to make the right calls. They got to keep everybody safe. So, like, I wanted to be in our row. I wanted to uh, to help out a little bit. Um, and then George Jones was my instructor. That guy's a chief warrant officer, man. Uh, retired from the army. Uh, one of the most professional guys I know. He's uh, taught me a lot. So, when an opportunity came to take the CRO class, I did. You know, I did that. And, now he's telling me I should become an arrangement. I'm like, no, that's way too much dedication. <laughs> <laughs> Not ready for that. That that would be a lot. It's a lot of work. These guys are. These, I mean, with, but without these guys, there would not be a sport, right? Right. You know, without the rule, without the rules. Right. So, how what did you think of the process of becoming an RO and a CRO, and how do you think that helped you with your shooting? Well, understanding the rules, I think, is critical for anybody. You know, it's like. I mean, you know, if you come to play a basketball game at a, you know, at a local court or play a hockey game or a football game, like you need to know these rules, right? Brian, I think Brian Connolly, the, uh, the, uh, um, he has a podcast now, right? The, the Hunter's Agency Goal, which is a tremendous podcast also, asks these tough questions 
And he was, a, I think, a, a football coach, and he needed to know these rules. It, as a shooter, as a competitor, you know when a call is incorrect. You know when when you you know can question a call. When you can, you know, what's the procedure, uh, the scoring system, the equipment, like all these things that we like. I would not know these things as a you know first year shooter. How far is my equipment from my belt? All these things. A lot, of, a lot of times you have this kind of, you know, the range, the range lawyering thing happens and people, oh, I think it should be this. And I think it should be, I'm like, here I am, I'm a CRO and I don't know what it should be. Let me consult the rule book. And so, I, you know, I wish we had printed rule books again. Well, Mark Evans, who's now a range master, taught me this. We were talking about, I don't know if you remember, they changed the rules a couple of years ago where, you know, uh, wall outside versus wall inside and how to handle, you know, contact with the wall or getting support and stability. And it was just a recent change, and I just implemented like a month ago. And I and I questioned him on a call, and he, and he just opens the rule book on the right page. He lays it on the table for me. He goes, Mike, and he just points. He did not spend time working or anything like that. He just, I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, I learned something. Thank you. Uh, but all those things help you across your journey to become, you know, a better shooter. So that's why I wanted to uh, to understand the game and be in that row. And has it? done what you were hoping it would do i challenged the range master's uh, a cro's call once on the target and the range master gave me a reshoot and the reshoot went worse than, yeah <laughs> than the mic that i would have gotten on that call so it sucks because that's usually what happens <laughs> yeah has it helped at least in my yeah. experience every reshoot <laughs> i've ever done except one at nationals uh that was the only time i did better uh yeah. but yeah every the other time guys frowned upon me yes yeah, two years ago at Virginia State match, very first stage I shot, the steel did not fall. But my time was good. All my hits were good. Everything was awesome. So I, I, I won calibration. I got a reshoot. And then I had two targets that I forgot to shoot. So I had four failure to shoot at and four mics. So it was horrible. My FTSA at this last match this weekend came on the reshoot because the, 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 the steel was not activated properly. So, oh, my God, Jesus. There you go. We shoot some. We shoot gods are never kind to us. Very occasionally they smile upon us, but not, not frequently. So I do see, as we talked earlier, that you are shooting Carry Optics National, and you're shooting with uh, Lisa and Mike Mahoney. By the way, that's okay. those are the that's Canadians. Yep. I'll say hello. Very nice people. Um, what are your thoughts on all of the? shooters there for carry optics nationals high level shooters high level shooters uh it's i think it's the most stacked field i've ever seen in my in my time anyway uh every uh, carry i think carry optics is a tremendous division i mean i remember when they made it as a you know carry optics stand and and then moved to uh you know 141 millimeter magazines it's a tremendous field it allows it's the blend between the open and the production and you know and it allows people to participate at a you know, it's easier to shoot. It's easier to be, it's not easier. It's easier to shoot, but it also requires you to be faster because it's easier to shoot, right? And it seems like all the high-level shooters are, you know, piling in. And listen, Max Michel, the greatest of all time, you know, he's been holding it for, what, five years now since it was, it was a provision. Yeah, five-time champ. Yeah, and, and so now Mason Lane is challenging him, and he almost beat him at, at uh, was it uh, Mid-Atlantic second? No, was it Area 8 or Area 7? It, no. Uh, it was one of the area. area seven. Yeah, I think it was, it was area, area seven. seven. It wasn't yeah. eight because he wasn't there. Because uh, yeah, it was area seven. Yeah. You're right. Area seven. Yep, yep, yep. Because that that's where Sig is headquartered up in area seven. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. 
people are breathing down his neck, which I think is only going to make him stronger. I think he's going to like that guy is a robot, you know. But nobody's unbeatable, and I think I think uh, I think Mason is a tremendous shooter. I respect this guy's opinions a lot. Um, you know, I've spoken I've spoken to him at area eight as well. You know, he's very intellectual, and he hasn't been he's only been shooting like eight or nine years, I think. So he has, still has a, a lot of time ahead of him. And he's breathing down Max Michel, and then Nils Johnson is there. all the top level guys are, you know, shooting that. You know, it's going to be tremendous to see how. Like, I can't even I can't even make a prediction, but uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, you've got on the super squad, you have five GMs that could potentially be in the top five, and then that's on the super squad, and none of them are the names we've mentioned. But did you notice how the super squad is not the real super squad now? Yes. That's right? what I was getting at. I was, you, me and the guys were just talking about that. Yeah. Squad 203 is a super squad. Um, but on squad 109, that's where you have Mason, Nils, Max, JJ. Yeah. That's, uh, I wonder, and I, and I, I wonder because Mason was squatted with Kaylee, right? Uh, yep. on that squad. And Mason Correct. was not on the super squad. But I wonder if when Max saw how close Mason was to him at Area 7, maybe he moved. Because you're not required to squat on the super squad, right? You just got to earn the spot if you wanted to be on it. So Max is like, well, maybe, you know, let me just see. Maybe just let me shoot with this guy. And so he maybe he moved himself to the to that squad. And maybe with him, Nils came and, and a couple other names came. So that's how that regular squad has become the super. I wonder if that's. It, it is interesting because we have a couple of the shooters we've talked to um, have said that they prefer not to shoot on the super squad um, just because they're like, it's, it's too much. Pre like everyone is so high pressure that they're like, then it's not fun and it's not relaxed. So it makes it more difficult to shoot. So it's interesting to that that has happened yeah, yeah. with the super squad. I think it's the younger shooters. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it happens sometimes. Especially with the younger shooters, especially with the first-time super squatters, you know they look up to these guys, right? They they've seen this guy shoot, and now they're at their level, and now they're competing directly with them. So there's there's a lot of pressure. But he, here's the thing: you will never experience that pressure until you experience that pressure. You cannot really train for that pressure. So it was a tremendous opportunity for some of these younger guys to be on the super squad. And listen, yes, it got to them. Yes, it crushed them. But they can take it, and they can get better afterwards. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know. I don't know if I will be on the super squad next year in production, but I think. The way they pick people is from you know the top twelve. There's a good chance that I'm going to be on a super squad next year. So I'll be shooting with these guys who are you know I looked up to and I you know watched all the videos. Will the pressure get to me? Probably will. Probably will. But I won't know until I'm there. So if it ever happens, you know, I'll, you know, we'll see. If it does, yeah. we're gonna to have to talk to you when you're when it's over. Let's do it. I'll be happy to. <laughs> this is definitely, I think, of any nationals in in the recent past, this is by far going to be the greatest showdown in, in quite a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be amazing. How many grandmasters do they have uh, uh, total? The, are you looking at this? At the I, I have it up. Grandmasters as in just overall? In, in, in karyotics specifically. Uh, they do match break, breakdown, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not, let me go back. I, I look probably 40. I mean, that's the biggest field. It's practice score.com. 
I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. I had to. I haven't done it in a while. You haven't been here, man. I know. So I was like, damn it. I was thought I had it. All right. Uh, how go. long have you guys been hanging out together before the podcast? You know, uh, well, Huggy and I, 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 like, I've known Huggy, like me, the longest. I think Dave and Huggy have known each other longer than Huggy and I have known each other. But of the three of us, like, I've known Huggy the longest of the three of us. Like, for me, for me. So that doesn't make any sense. You know what I'm saying? I'll put it in in numerical. I'll put it in in numerical terms. Dave and I have known each other for 18 years. There you go. All right. Yeah. Leo Leo and I have known each other for 17, I think it is. Yes. So, so yeah, we actually, uh, we all work together. Per se, for the same uh, fire strip club. The way you said that, we all work together. Well, we we work together, <laughs> but you know, we're in different stations. Yeah, so, we, work, we work in the same department, but we're right. not. We don't work in the same building. Correct. Okay. So there are forty-four grandmasters wow. in carry optics. That That's is a bunch. Wow, a lot. That's a lot. I'm not even asking about masters because everybody's a master these days in carry optics. <laughs> Seventy-one. <laughs> Seventy-one. That's huge, man. Yeah. So be- between carry optics and PCC, there are uh, looks like four hundred and thirty-four shooters, two hundred and ninety-four of which are all carry optics. Well, they better have they better have the the banquet, you know, set up, man. We don't want to run out of food. We're going to be hungry. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So I respect PCC shooters. They're smart. They they bring in rifles to a pistol match. That's genius. Next level thinking. Yeah. There you go. It's good. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.